Hello, and welcome to the 538 Politics Podcast. I'm Galen Druk. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in one of the highest profile cases of the term. The question for the court is whether Mississippi's law banning most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy is constitutional. So far, the law has been blocked from going into effect because of the legal precedent from Roe v. Wade, which granted a constitutional right to having an abortion. Subsequent decisions have meant that states may not ban abortion before fetal viability at around 24 weeks, but that is being tested now. The court has no obligation to follow public opinion in deciding this case, although as we've talked about on this podcast before, the courts historically tended not to stray too far from the public on high-profile issues, perhaps for fear of losing legitimacy in Americans' eyes. When it comes to abortion, the conventional wisdom is that Americans' views are highly polarized and deeply entrenched. But the reality is more complicated than that. Most Americans don't fit neatly into a pro-life or pro-choice category. So today, we're going to try to get to the bottom of what Americans believe and what they want when it comes to this seemingly intractable question. And here with me to discuss is senior writer and legal reporter Amelia Thompson-DeVoe. Welcome, Amelia. Thanks, Galen. So first and foremost, you listened to the oral arguments in the case Wednesday morning. What were the arguments being made on either side? So on one side, we had the Mississippi Solicitor General who is defending this abortion restriction, which, as you mentioned, is a ban on abortions after 15 weeks. And that is a clear challenge to Roe versus Wade, because it's not something that is sort of around the time of viability. It's a full two months before viability could plausibly happen. And it's also not a restriction that makes it harder to get an abortion, but doesn't make it impossible because those are sort of, they've been litigated a little more. There's a little more wiggle room, a little more gray area there under row. This isn't one of those. This is just a ban. And so he really went for it, the Solicitor General, and he said, it's time to get rid of Roe, and it's time to get rid of the other cases that have followed since Roe that have shored up the right to abortion. And he said that that needed to happen for a couple of reasons. One is that he said that Roe basically hasn't settled the political debate over abortion. In fact, it's made the political debate over abortion worse. And that this line that we use for determining when a state can impose bans and and more significant regulations on abortion viability, that that's an arbitrary line. It's something that shifts depending on medical technology that's available or scientific advances. So that's not a legitimate way of thinking about it. And then there's also an argument that's being made, which is that in the past, abortion was considered to be necessary because it was something that helped women get ahead in their education and in the workplace, and that now we've gotten to a point in our society where women don't need that anymore. We have highly effective contraception. There are more workplace protections for women. I think many women in the workplace would probably dispute the extent to which we are living in a paradise for working parents. Um, But, you know, setting that aside, that's the argument he's making, that there may have been a time when constitutional protections for abortion were necessary, but we're past that now. Okay, so that's Mississippi arguing in favor, essentially, of overturning Roe v. Wade. What did the other side have to say? Yeah, so there were really two voices on the other side. One was an attorney for the Center for Reproductive Rights, and the other was the new Solicitor General, who was sworn in relatively recently. And they're basically making the argument that this is an old precedent, it's a necessary precedent, 
that viability makes sense as a line to draw. It's something that has historical roots. It's something that kind of intuitively makes sense to people as a time when the state would have more and less compelling interest in in regulating abortion, um, even if it's something that a woman wants. And they're also making the argument that, no, this actually is really essential for women, and that if you take it away— American women are going to lose something that they've come to deeply rely on in the past 50 years, that this is something that would be really dramatic and a really big upheaval for American women who have organized their lives around the idea that they have this right to control their reproduction in this way. So this is an argument about abortion itself. It's also an argument about legal precedent. So you laid out some of the reasons that both sides are saying this may or may not be necessary in terms of a woman's access to abortion. To what extent does the Supreme Court generally stick to legal precedent? So it's a really good question. It's one that came up actually a lot today in the oral arguments. All of the liberal justices were leaning very hard into the idea that this is an old precedent and the Supreme Court can't go overturning old precedents, especially or any precedents really willy nilly because that undermines the court's legitimacy. Brett Kavanaugh, though, at one point listed a whole bunch of high profile cases, cases involving gay marriage, the Miranda case from the 1960s, Brown versus Board of education. And he said, you know, in all these cases, the Supreme Court overturned precedent. And he didn't take it the extra step and say, you know, so so I think we should overturn Roe. They're never that explicit in oral argument, but that was definitely the implication that there have been moments when the Supreme Court has found it necessary to overturn precedents. And it is something they do. Um, I think it's about one or two precedents a year that consistently get overturned. So it's not crazy. It is a thing that happens. I would say when those precedents get overturned, they are generally not one of the highest profile Supreme Court decisions in the country's history. So this one would be a really big deal. Trying to figure out how the Supreme Court is going to rule can be tricky business. But as you mentioned, the justices do, to some extent, speak their minds during the oral arguments. So do you have some sense about how this case might be decided? So with the big caveat that, as you mentioned, oral arguments sometimes give clues about how the justices are going to rule, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes the justices kind of float trial balloon ideas that they want the lawyers to respond to, that it sounds like they are, you know, the idea they're going to land on, and then it doesn't end up actually being that idea. So with all of that caveating aside... I was actually really surprised in the oral argument how willing the conservatives seemed to be to consider just overruling Roe outright. And that was surprising to me because I think there's been sort of an expectation that this ruling was not going to be good for abortion rights supporters, but that in an election year and you know, very soon after this new conservative majority took control of the court, that it was just not going to be a great look for the Supreme Court to immediately go in and overturn probably the highest profile precedent around today. Um, And so that what they might do instead was something like take the viability line and say, hey, this actually isn't a good way to figure out when states can regulate abortion. Let's get rid of that. The Mississippi law is constitutional. And let's figure out some other way of figuring out when abortion restrictions can happen. And that that would be 
more deferential to states. It would give states more leeway to restrict and ban abortion than they currently have. And then more restrictions would come back to the Supreme Court later and the Supreme Court would rule on those and we'd sort of have this dynamic where eventually we get to a point where the Supreme Court is willing to overturn Roe. Or maybe we don't and we end up in a situation where Roe is functionally overturned and um, nobody wants to say it out loud. So that's what I was expecting. And Roberts... Chief Justice John Roberts seemed to want to go there. He was asking a lot about the viability line. He was talking a lot about what if, you know, we had a line where we said, okay, abortions up to 15 weeks, you can't restrict them, or up to 12 weeks, which would be around the end of the first trimester, you can't restrict them. I was expecting that. The other conservatives really didn't seem very interested in that argument. Clarence Thomas, of course, is a noted opponent of Roe, so we knew that he was going to be coming out guns blazing to say, let's get rid of this precedent. But Brett Kavanaugh interestingly suggested that the neutral approach for the Supreme Court might be to just return the issue back to the people, to the states, to Congress, which would mean overruling Roe. I personally don't know a lot of people, and I think the polling shows that People would not see that as a neutral act, but he was floating that as an idea. And Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who, of course, joined the court relatively recently, had several comments and questions where she was kind of questioning this idea that women really need abortion. She brought up the uh, the fact that women can put babies up for adoption and relinquish their parental rights as sort of an alternative that's available to them. Maybe they don't really need this. And Alito and Gorsuch also both made comments that suggested that they would be open to rethinking Roe altogether. So that was a surprise for me. They're not usually so explicit, especially in a high-profile case, about what they might be thinking. And in particular, they were talking a lot about fetal rights, which, of course, is where the abortion debate will go next if Roe is overturned. The Supreme Court will not be done hearing abortion cases if that happens. The framing is just going to change, and it'll be a question of whether there's fetal personhood under the Constitution. And they were talking a lot about that, and it wasn't just Clarence Thomas. So it's too early to say... And as you mentioned, it's foolish to predict what the Supreme Court is going to do. But I will say, I think it is a much more of a live possibility that there are five votes on the Supreme Court right now to fully overrule Roe than I did before I went into that oral argument. And that's pretty significant, considering that this decision would likely be coming down just a few months before the midterm elections. So you set out two possibilities here. One is move up the limit in terms of when states can enact restrictions to earlier in a pregnancy, which would be watering down Roe, but not necessarily overturning it. Another option is overturning it altogether. Do you see the possibility where the Supreme Court would rule that this Mississippi law is unconstitutional and kind of keep precedent where it is? I think that's pretty unlikely. I don't think they would have taken this case. You know, it only takes four votes to grant cert to hear a case, but I don't think they would have taken this case if they didn't think that they could at least significantly chip away at abortion restrictions with this. And remember, the sixth vote, the most liberal conservative on the court right now is John Roberts. And He's not an abortion rights supporter. When he was going through his confirmation hearings, people were saying this is a guy who's not going to be good for Roe. So, you know, I think there's like a little bit of a tendency to forget who 
these justices are because Roberts is sort of in a little bit more of a median category. But these are not, as a group, people who are going to be enthusiastic about reaffirming Roe. All right. So that's where things stand after oral arguments on Wednesday. I want to talk about what Americans think about all of this. But first, today's podcast is brought to you by Shopify. Ready to make the smartest choice for your business? Say hello to Shopify, the global commerce platform that makes selling a breeze. Whether you're starting your online shop, opening your first physical store, or hitting a million orders, Shopify is your growth partner. Sell everywhere with Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. Turn browsers into buyers with Shopify's best converting checkout, 36% better than other platforms. Effortlessly sell more with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Did you know Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and supports global brands like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen. Join millions of successful entrepreneurs across 175 countries backed by Shopify's extensive support and help resources. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Start your success story today. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash 538. That's the numbers, not the letters. Shopify.com slash 538. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. You mentioned that there was some openness amongst the conservative justices on the court to potentially overturn Roe and at least argue that Roe may have been wrongly decided. How widespread is the belief amongst Americans that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided? When you ask Americans the question, do you think Roe should be overturned? A solid majority consistently say no. That's been the status quo in the country for a long time. Um, There does not appear to be a strong appetite to get rid of that precedent, except among a smaller segment of abortion rights opponents. It's a popular precedent. I think people traditionally view the belief that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided as a conservative opinion and probably largely amongst the public. That's seen as just a pure question about do you support or oppose abortion rights? But it does even get a little more complicated than that on the theoretical level. I mean, there are some legal scholars on the left who believe that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. Why? Well, the person who has criticized abortion rights from the left most prominently is the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she actually was all over the briefs in this case, but for the people who were arguing that Roe should be overturned. And they were saying, look, look, even RBG didn't like this ruling. So that's kind of interesting. She would never have voted to overrule Roe. She was a very strong supporter of abortion rights. So using her in this way is kind of disingenuous. But the reason that she criticized Roe, and she did criticize Roe, is pretty interesting. Her issue with it was basically that Roe was too much too fast and use the wrong reasoning. 
So back in 1973, when the Roe ruling came down, abortion was only legal in a handful of states, and the vast majority of the country's abortions took place in New York. People would fly to New York to get abortions. And so our argument was basically that the Supreme Court jumped in prematurely and made a decision about abortion that would have been accomplished through public opinion and the legislative process over time, that it would have been more like what we saw with same-sex marriage, where more and more states are moving in the direction of legalization, public opinion shifts over time, and then we get to a point where the Supreme Court says, okay, you know, now we're going to change our mind. And at that point, the country is behind them. So she basically thought the Supreme Court jumped the gun. And she also didn't like the way Roe was decided. And that's that's interesting, too, because fundamentally under Roe, abortion is protected because it's about privacy. It's this idea that there are some decisions like decisions about reproduction. So contraception also falls into this category that the state just can't intrude into. And that's That's why you hear the phrase, abortion is between a woman and her doctor. And RBG thought, well, actually, abortion is about gender equality. And so she wanted to argue that women can't succeed on equal footing with men if they can't control their reproduction. So denying them abortion is discrimination. And she thought that the issue should have been introduced to the justices differently, that actually the first case about reproductive freedom shouldn't have been about abortion. It should have been another case that she was working on at the time that involved a woman who was basically in a situation where she had gotten pregnant and had a choice between having an abortion and losing her job, and she wanted to keep the baby. And she was saying, look, this is this is an issue of discrimination. Why should this woman not be able to keep the baby and have her job? And that's how she wanted to bring the issue to the court. So it's sort of a strategic critique, both that it came to the American people before they were ready for it, and also that the way the Supreme Court argued it was flawed. And so the way that we've engaged with this idea of abortion as fundamentally being about privacy rather than discrimination against women has really shaped the way that people have received it and has made it easier to criticize. I don't know if she's right about that, but it's an interesting idea. And it's certainly true that Roe is not popular among all liberals. That being said, as I said earlier, there is no way RBG would have voted to overrule Roe. So as you mentioned, when it comes to asking Americans their views of Roe, well, in the legal community, I guess it can be somewhat complicated. But amongst Americans, 60-some percent say they want to keep Roe v. Wade in place, the precedent in place. But also amongst Americans, it gets more complicated because when you actually ask people about restrictions that would violate Roe, some people who say that they support keeping Roe v. Wade in place actually also support restrictions on abortion that would violate Roe. So you dug pretty deep into all of the different polling on abortion and views in America to try to get to the bottom of, okay, what do Americans actually think if they're telling pollsters contradictory things? What did you find? Yeah, so I wanted to do this piece because whenever abortion is in the news, I tend to write some version of what are Americans going to think about this? What's the political you know, situation going to be? Is there going to be a backlash? And inevitably, I end up saying, oh, we don't really know because Americans' views on abortion are contradictory. And there was a lot of conversation about a different abortion restriction in Texas, which has made it very difficult to get any abortions in Texas right now. I just started thinking 
this is one of the highest profile issues in American politics. It comes up constantly. Why is it so hard to figure out what Americans actually think? So I took a deep dive into the polls. Um, and basically, I found what you said and what I identified before, which is that people support Roe. They also support restrictions that clearly contradict Roe. Or to put it another way, they want abortion to be legal or available, at least in some circumstances, but they also don't seem bothered by restrictions that over the past decade have made it much, much harder to get an abortion in large parts of the country. In looking at this kind of gray area that you describe, is there any consensus amongst Americans about when abortion should or shouldn't be legal? Can you find a majority anywhere? Well, you can find a majority to say that abortion should be legal in at least some circumstances. And you can also find a majority saying that abortion should be restricted at at least some point. And after that, what you really find is that people don't have a lot of information about abortion. They don't know when in pregnancy abortions tend to happen. They don't know what's going on with these restrictions that have been passing at the state level. They think abortion is a lot less safe than it is. And in general, they actually don't tend to think that they should be making the call or even that politicians should be making the call. There was a really interesting recent ABC News Washington Post poll where they found that 75% of Americans said essentially that this should be a choice between a woman and her doctor and only 20% said that it should be something that's regulated by law. And that's pretty striking and I think speaks to the fact that even though I think a lot of those people would also say you know, well, doctors should not allow abortions to happen past a certain point in pregnancy. And there would also be some nuance in that question. They just think this issue is too political. And they think that both sides of the debate, which are largely where the parties have ended up, are too extreme and don't represent what they think. And so they've kind of checked out. And I think that's one of the reasons that these questions don't give us very useful information a lot of the time. One is that just people are being asked about something fairly specific that requires some knowledge to answer, that they just don't necessarily have the knowledge to answer, especially quickly in you know, a poll with 30 other questions or whatever. And another is that people just don't like talking or thinking about this issue. So they may not know when in a pregnancy exactly they think abortion should be legal and when they don't. And they might think that decision is just not theirs to make for someone else. How common are the views where the parties have mostly landed, as you mentioned, that abortion should either be totally banned in all circumstances or legal in all circumstances? They're both minorities. So the perspective that abortion should be totally banned is a smaller minority. It varies a bit from poll to poll. It's phrased kind of differently, but generally it's about 10 to 15% of the country that thinks that abortion should just be banned. You shouldn't be able to get one, end of story. And then it's a larger minority, but still a minority, about 25 to 30% who think that abortion should be legal in all circumstances. You mentioned there's this knowledge issue that people may not know a lot about the thing they're asking to opine on. How common is that in asking voters about policy and how do we sort our way through that in terms of interpreting what Americans want? I think it's an 
issue generally with policy. I think it's an especially big issue with abortion because the way it's framed right now, it's so dependent on knowing information about abortion. So there's all this discussion about gestational limits and when in a pregnancy you should be able to get an abortion and when you shouldn't. And the problem with that is the the way we talk about gestation and the weekly progression of a pregnancy is complicated. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think we saw this with the Texas law that I was referencing earlier, which is a ban on abortion after about six weeks of pregnancy. And it took a little while for people to realize oh, because of the way pregnancy is calculated, that doesn't mean that we're talking about someone who knows they've been pregnant for six weeks and they've just been kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs, thinking, should I get an abortion? Shouldn't I? That's actually a point in when many people don't know they're pregnant. You can usually find out if you're pregnant around four weeks of pregnancy. And so that's a complicating factor. Um, You know, I think people, just the fact that people are not really aware when in pregnancy abortions happen also distorts views because there's a pretty strong consensus when you look at the polling that abortion should be legal and available in the first trimester. And that's also when the vast majority of abortions happen. So it actually seems like this should be a fairly simple issue, at least like for for most of the abortions that happen. But because so much of the conversation tends to focus on abortions that happen later in pregnancy, I think people have the impression that, oh, those must be happening a lot. They're actually not. They're actually the exception. But that's where people's heads tend to go when you ask them about abortion. So I do think this is an issue that we see in other polling. And probably if you did a deep dive into other policy issues, especially on healthcare, you would see a similar thing where, you know, people are kind of answering in a snap way and maybe their head is not fully in it or maybe they haven't thought a lot about it. But I also think that abortion is a little unique just in how much technical information is required to answer these questions and also how much thought you probably want to give them before you answer. I mean, these are not easy questions to answer. Yeah. One of the most striking contradictions is that, as we mentioned, somewhere in the range of two-thirds of Americans support Roe v. Wade and subsequent president sets the restriction limit at about 25 weeks or so. But when you ask Americans, and Gallup has asked Americans a lot about this, do you think abortion should be legal in the second trimester? It's somewhere in the range of 25% of Americans who say that it should. So that's a pretty stark contrast. Do people understand what it means when pollsters ask them, do you want to overturn or keep Roe v. Wade? I think for many people, Roe is a stand-in for do you generally want abortion to be legal and available up to a certain threshold point in pregnancy? And usually people will say that sometime during the second trimester. I think the second trimester is just a, a time in pregnancy that feels a little bit more complicated because it's this middle point. People might be thinking of early second trimester differently than they're thinking of later second trimester. But also, I just think this is a complicated Supreme Court decision. There's no reason why people would really understand the ins and outs of it very clearly and have a very formed opinion on it. And so I think it's more of a proxy for just this idea that abortion should be legal in some cases. And the second trimester question is just complicated. I actually talked to quite a few people for this story in addition to diving into the polling. And when I talked to people, their 
perspectives would kind of morph over the course of the conversation. They would start by saying, oh, you know, I don't think abortion should be available after the first trimester, and then end up saying, "Mm, you know, actually, no, I could see some points in pregnancy when that might be necessary. And, and yeah, maybe it should be legal, or they'd go the other way where they would start by saying, you know, I think abortion should be legal in more circumstances, and then say, oh, you know, actually, I thought about it. And the second trimester is 20 weeks. And when I was pregnant. I remember when it was 20 weeks and that feels different to me. So it's not something where people have incredibly fixed views I've found. And even as you're talking to them, those views can change a bit. I think part of the perception of Americans' views on abortion is that people are polarized. But the other piece is that Americans are deeply entrenched in their views, that it's this kind of almost 50-50 thing, which we've already established it's it's not really, and that there's no convincing Americans towards one argument or another. It sounds like people change their views over time and with different pieces of information. Why do we have this perception of it being this intractable fight? Well, I think because the extremes have come to dominate the fight completely. And I think that's actually one reason why people in the middle have kind of checked out of this, because they look at Republicans who increasingly are advocating for bans on abortion in all circumstances, and they look at Democrats who, you know, a lot of the movement in blue states has been around shoring up abortion, and that hasn't all been focused on making sure that there are exemptions for abortions that happen later in pregnancy to make sure that those can happen in sort of rare instances when that is a necessity. But that has been happening. And when people see that, um, there's not a lot of understanding about what a late-term abortion actually is or how rare they are. And so they think, oh, you know, the Democrats want abortions to be legal all the time, all the way up till birth, which is not at all true. That's just not a thing doctors would do in this country. We're really, when we're talking about quote-unquote late-term abortions, we're really talking about abortions that happen right around the end of the second trimester. And again, super rare. But, you know, because people are in this middle space, they just say, this isn't me, this isn't what I think. And also, why are we talking so much about this? That's another thing that I heard from a lot of people was just that they felt, you know, there are so many other issues that we're facing in this country that are really important to deal with. And there is a middle ground that we could find on abortion. And people have a sense that they think, Probably a lot of people think the way I do and they just are quiet about it. And so they are wondering, why is this even a thing that we're talking about all the time? So that allows the two most extreme sides to dominate the conversation and to create this perception that the whole country is on one side or the other, when really you have these two small groups on either side who care a lot about this issue and have very strong beliefs. And then you have this group of people in the middle that's much larger who are just saying, guys, like there is a middle ground here and can we just come to that and then stop talking about this? We, in polling, oftentimes look at salience. How high do people rank a certain issue when comparing it to other issues like the economy or immigration or COVID or what have you. What does that polling look like? The salience is really low, generally. If you ask people, is this an important issue to you, and you don't make them pick what is their most important issue, 
40-50% of Americans will say, yes, abortion is an important issue to me. But they'll be saying like 60% or 70% will be saying that other issues are more important to them. And then when you ask them to rank issues where you say, what's your number one issue? It'll be something like 4% of Americans will say abortion is their top issue. I've seen polls where it's 1%. And, you know, for different groups, it matters more and less. You know, if you're looking at college-educated women who are Democrats, it's probably going to be a more salient issue. It's also probably going to be a more salient issue for white evangelical Protestants. So it's not like everyone is in that place. But again, it goes back to that idea that the people who, who really care about abortion really, really care about it and have very strong opinions. So if the salience is relatively low, why is it such a present issue in American politics? The people who really care about it really, really care about it. And it also does implicate some questions that are much more fundamental than just whether this specific healthcare procedure should be available. It's for people who are against abortion rights, this is a question of life or death. It's a question about saving lives and about avoiding murder. That's the way they see it. That's really high stakes. And on the other side, you have people who say, this is about women's right to live equal to men in our society. And this is about people's right to choose whether they reproduce and choose whether they have children or don't have children. And those are such deep, core, important issues that it's not surprising that it stays alive in politics. I mean, those are those are really visceral questions. So I think that's one of the reasons that we hear so much about this, because it does raise these really important questions, and the people who are who are speaking out on it are relatively smaller groups of Americans, but they're super, super vocal. And so even though they're not the majority, they are able to bring it forward in the conversation and make it something that the parties are prioritizing and politicians are talking about and that we're hearing about all the time in the news. Given that picture that you've painted, should we expect the current lawsuits to drive political behavior in the coming year? This is a really interesting question, and it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what happens. In general, abortion is not a hugely important political driver. It is for some groups, but not generally and in a huge way. That's for a couple reasons. One is that people just often aren't aware of what's happening with abortion law, even at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has heard a lot of cases on abortion, and they are often pretty technical. They don't have the kind of big, splashy change to the status quo, like overturning Roe, that people would immediately understand if they see it on the front page of a newspaper. So it just kind of doesn't penetrate through to the way people People are thinking about it, and they also don't necessarily see the impact on an everyday level. So generally, there's a pretty high bar for abortion to be something that shapes an election or drives people to the polls. That being said, I think it could be different if the court overturns Roe. And the reason I think that is first just that Roe is very popular. And again, it's kind of this proxy that people understand and it's easy to understand. And the other is just that this Texas law, which is rare in that it has actually gone into effect. There are lots of abortion bans that have been passed by the states, but they've all been halted by the federal courts because 
they violate Roe. And so the courts say this can't go into effect until the lawsuits have gone through. And then the lawsuits end up saying these are unconstitutional. And then the laws eventually die. Because of the way that the Texas law was structured, it went into effect. And that got a lot of news coverage. And people actually know about it. If you look at polling, it's something like 80% of people have heard about the Texas law, whereas it's more like 40% of people who have heard about the Mississippi law, and they don't like the Texas law. And so that, I think, is an illustration of the risk that the Supreme Court is running if they do overturn Roe, because that would probably break through in the way that the Texas law did. And what we know from the polling is that people would probably be pretty upset about it. What impact that would have on the election, I'm not sure. The Supreme Court justices may feel that this is the right thing to do, this is the thing they want to do, and they kind of don't care what the electoral consequences would be. But it is something that could be a big issue if the Supreme Court does kind of the most dramatic thing that's available to them. If they do something less dramatic that just restricts abortion rights, that would still be bad news for abortion rights supporters, but I think it would be much harder to mobilize voters around it. If the Supreme Court were to go down the path that you described of actually overturning Roe v. Wade, what would be the immediate effect? How would Americans experience that? They would experience it differently depending on where they live. There are some states that have laws on the books that say that if Roe is overturned, abortion immediately becomes illegal in their state. There are other states that have gone in and made sure that abortion is protected in their state, even if the constitutional right is overturned. And then there are states where they have a lot of restrictions on the books and those would continue to be in force and maybe they have a ban on abortion at 15 weeks or something like that or eight weeks and so then that would go into effect. So you basically see a patchwork. There would be states where you would no longer be able to get an abortion. I think you'd also see blue states like New York and California and Illinois becoming places where there's a strong effort to make sure that abortion is very accessible. And then the other question mark is what would happen with mail order abortion? This is something that is a difference from the last time that Roe seemed to be very seriously under threat in the early 90s, which is that you can get abortion pills mailed to you and you can actually manage the abortion yourself at home. And so I think there's a question about how that would factor into this, whether we would just see a lot more women self-managing early abortions. Basically, it's not totally clear exactly how it would play out, and it would differ a lot for different people depending on where they live, but there would also be large swaths of the country where you would no longer be able to get an abortion immediately. Wrapping up here, oftentimes we do kind of stay focused on American politics, but because this argument feels so intractable and so raw, and it's really been with us now for half a century in a pretty high-profile way. I'm curious, are we unique? Do other countries have these kinds of arguments over abortion? Have other countries settled their arguments over abortion? So 
This is not something that I'm an expert on, but in general, according to the research that I've looked at, countries that have changed their policies on abortion have generally been going in the opposite direction from us. They have been making their laws more liberal rather than making them more conservative. It is true that in a lot of developing countries, the line for when abortion is generally available is earlier, but it's not really a fair comparison between countries for example, like democracies in Europe, because they tend to have better healthcare access. There are fewer barriers to getting abortions in that earlier period. Also, you can get abortions later. You know, that line is like not necessarily a totally fixed line. So I think we may not be completely unique in this, but I think we are fairly unique in the fact that we are moving from having a fairly liberal standard on abortion, at least in terms of the legal standard, not necessarily in terms of how easy it actually is to get an abortion, but the law on abortion, that we've been moving from a more liberal place to a more conservative place. And certainly if we were in a place where Roe was overturned and a lot of states were banning abortion, that would put us out of the ordinary for other developed countries in particular. All right. Well, let's leave things there. Of course, we will be following the Supreme Court decisions as they come down in June, and we'll have a lot more to talk about then. But thank you for now, Amelia. Thanks, Galen. My name is Galen Druk. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. Claire Bidigary Curtis is on audio editing. And Naomi Shaw is on video editing. You can get in touch by emailing us at podcasts at 538.com. You can also, of course, tweet at us with any questions or comments. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating or a review in the Apple Podcast Store or tell someone about us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen.